Section three of Modern England by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Book three, Reform, eighteen thirty to eighteen thirty four. Book three, Chapter one, First Reform Bill. Lord Grey was pointed out as the natural head of a ministry whose chief duty was to introduce a scheme of parliamentary reform. He was now sixty-six years of age, and had made the same good cause his own thirty years before. The cabinet of fourteen was composed of nine Whigs, whose long exclusion from office had made them less fit for the work of administration, and four remnants of the party of Canning. Lord Altrip was Chancellor of the Exchequer, Broom, to the surprise of all men, became Lord Chancellor, and deserted the scene of his triumphs in the House of Commons. Lord Palmerston, as Secretary for Foreign Affairs, held different opinions to his colleagues. Lord Grey declared to the House, which was then sitting, that the principles of his government were reform, economy, order, and peace. Agitation still continued in England, but ministers hoped to be able to allay it by the measure which four of their number were preparing in secrecy and silence. In March 1831, Lord John Russell asked leave to introduce the first reform bill. The greatest excitement prevailed. Heaps of petitions were piled upon the table. The house was crowded. Dense masses of people stood outside waiting for the news, and beyond them, were horsemen ready to carry the first information of the details of the bill to every part of England. The chief evils which demanded a remedy were, one, the existence of rotten boroughs, places with few electors and sometimes no inhabitants, which returned two members to Parliament, two, the fact that large towns which had grown into importance through commerce were left without representation, three, the unequal distribution of the franchise itself, so that only a small part of the population had the right of voting in elections. The bill proposed that sixty of the smaller boroughs should be disfranchised altogether, that forty-seven should return only one member instead of two. On the other hand, London received eight additional representatives, and thirty-four seats were distributed among a number of towns hitherto unrepresented. The English counties had allotted to them fifty-five new members, the Scotch five, the Irish three, the Welsh one. In consequence of these changes, the numbers of the House of Commons would be reduced from 658 to 596. Corporations in towns lost their exclusive right of election, and it was uniformly extended to all householders who paid ten pounds a year rent. This gave votes to half a million citizens who were before without them. Lord John Russell's speech was received with derisive cheers and laughter, but Sir Robert Peel sat fixed and immovable in his place, and the Duke of Wellington told his friends and society that it was no joke and there was nothing to laugh at. The debate lasted seven nights and brought out the conflicting objections of the Tories and the Radicals. The one thought such a reform coupled with a free press, incompatible with the power of the crown and the independence of the lords. It is a revolution, said a Tory member. The radicals recognized the boldness of the measure, 
but regretted that no mention was made of ballots of shortened parliaments or of universal suffrage at last after a short reply from the opener of the debate leave was given to bring in a reform bill and it was read for the first time the country was strangely divided the court the house of lords the clergy the army and navy the universities and the inns of court were mainly against the bill it was supported by the manufacturers and the body of the people the press was generally in its favour excitement was at its highest when lord john russell proposed the second reading after a debate of two nights the motion was carried by a majority of one the numbers being three hundred and two to three hundred and one the success of the bill seemed very doubtful after the easter recess ministers announced some changes in the details of the bill general gascoigne and committee proposed that the number of the english and welsh members should not be diminished lord altrip declared that this motion would be fatal to the bill at four in the morning it was carried by a majority of eight a dissolution was immediately resolved on but kept secret for the present on april twenty first ministers were again defeated by a majority of twenty-two a cabinet council was held orders were given for the attendance of the officers of state and the royal guards the king's consent was reluctantly obtained by lord grey and lord broom the king surprised both houses in the midst of a debate protesting against dissolution parliament was prorogued as a prelude to its dissolution and the question of reform was left to the judgment of the country april eighteen thirty one book three chapter two the second reform bill the dissolution of parliament was followed by general rejoicing and illuminations those who refused to illuminate had their windows broken in the elections reformers were chosen throughout the country of the county members nearly all were pledged to support the bill the second reform bill was introduced by lord john russell in july it was the same as the first with very few modifications leave to introduce it was granted with only one dissentient voice the debate on the second reading lasted three nights the motion was carried by a majority of one hundred and thirty-six the numbers being three hundred and sixty-seven and two hundred and thirty-one the ministers had gained one hundred and thirty-five votes by the dissolution but the minority was united and determined the motion to go into committee was met by repeated amendments the house rose at half-past seven to sit again at three in committee the case of each borough was separately discussed it was urged that the bill disfranchised the south of england for the benefit of the north but it was in the north that the chief increase of wealth and population had taken place every art of obstruction was put in force the house continued to sit through the tropical heat of july and passed the twelfth of august and the work of the committee was only just concluded before the coronation of the king in september the bill finally passed the house of commons by a majority of one hundred and six in october the second reading of the bill was proposed in the house of lords by lord grey he defended the consistency of his career and showed that he had supported pitt's proposals for reform in seventeen eighty six the debate continued for five nights 
the duke of wellington opposed the bill lord lyndhurst who had been a tory lord chancellor complained that it opened the floodgates of democracy the chief justice and the archbishop of canterbury spoke the sentiments of their professions in demanding its rejection earl grey replied on the morning of the eighth but the bill was rejected by a majority of forty-one the indignation of the country was extreme a spark might have produced a revolution a cry was raised for the abolition of the house of lords unpopular peers were attacked in the streets a procession of sixty thousand persons presented a petition to the king windows were broken in london riots were common throughout the country the public mind was calmed by broom and russell the people were assured that there was no intention to desert their cause or to shelve the question of reform but that repose was absolutely needed parliament was prorogued for a month even after this it was found necessary to prohibit political associations by proclamation a terrible riot took place in bristol directed against the recorder sir c wetherell one of the fiercest opponents of the bill the constables were routed and soldiers were called in to quell the tumult the prisons were broken open and the prisoners liberated the mansion house and the bishop's palace were burned to the ground the riots were at last suppressed with great bloodshed and loss of life bishops were burned in effigy throughout england and the church was involved in the hatred inspired by its chiefs book three chapter three third reform bill parliament met again in december and the third reform bill was introduced the chief alterations made in it were in adopting the census of eighteen thirty one as a basis of calculation for the population instead of that of eighteen twenty one and in maintaining the members of the house of commons at the original number the second reading was carried by a majority of one hundred and sixty two and in spite of attempts to delay the bill finally passed the commons in march in the upper house it was still violently opposed by the duke of wellington whereas a party called the waverers or the trimmers represented by lord warncliffe and lord harraby were disposed to accede to the second reading in order to amend it in committee the bill therefore passed through this stage by a majority of nine in committee an amendment by lord lyndhurst was adopted by a majority of thirty-five the debate was immediately adjourned ministers had before them the choice between advising the king to create sufficient peers to ensure the passing of the bill or of resigning their offices the king whose early enthusiasm for the measure had gradually cooled was reluctant to swamp the upper house with new creations so the ministry chose to resign the lords determined to proceed with the discussion of the bill the commons prayed in an address to the throne that the measure passed by them might not be surrendered the excitement throughout the country was more violent than ever a union was formed at birmingham with the object of refusing to pay taxes arms were prepared and there was even danger of a civil war an attempt to form a ministry among the enemies of reform failed lord lyndhurst and sir robert peel declined the post the duke of wellington undertook it only to find it impossible lord grey was recalled in may eighteen thirty two 
the king reluctantly gave permission to him and to lord broom to create such a number of peers as would be necessary to pass the bill first calling up peers eldest sons in consequence of this the opposition of the lords was suddenly withdrawn the waverers declaring that they had been duped and cheated the bill passed in june only twenty-two peers voting against it the amendments of the lords were shortly afterwards accepted by the commons and the bill became law the king refused to give his consent in person but it was given by commission amid the silence of deep emotion parliament was shortly afterwards dissolved that a new house of commons might be elected under the new act book three chapter four results of the reform bill the reform bill has not belied the prophecies of those who opposed it it was a great revolution as momentous though not so violent as the revolutions of france in seventeen eighty nine and of england in sixteen eighty eight its consequences are still in the future but although the change it brought was as complete as was predicted of it its effects have been far from disastrous it brought about by gradual and silent means the reforms which are necessary to harmonize progress with stability and new ideas with old traditions it took a large step towards admitting the whole nation to the labours of government and allowed the national life to flow in a fuller tide a spirit of moderation governed the elections the attention of the new house of commons which met in january eighteen thirty three was first directed to ireland riots and disturbances rendered it necessary to suspend the habeas corpus act when this had been done it was possible to consider the wrongs of ireland the first act of the government was to remedy the abuses of the irish church the number and salaries of the higher clergy were reduced and an attempt made to diminish the injustice of the tithe which often had to be collected at the point of the bayonet retrenchment and financial reforms next claimed attention ministers felt bound to redeem their promises on the one hand and to resist their extreme supporters on the other the government of india lost the exclusive right of trading but their charter was renewed in other respects to their satisfaction but by far the most important measure was the abolition of slavery in the british empire the victory so long striven for by wilberforce stephen and clarkson was at last gained the slaves were set free at a great loss of property to their owners some attempt was made to alleviate the condition of factory workmen at home and a large grant was given for education such efforts are only possible when the feeling of the people is at a high pitch parliament met for its second session in february eighteen thirty four it had first to deal with the affairs of ireland some liberals wished to diminish still further the revenues of the irish church o'connell opposed any measure of political coercion at last worn out with anxiety and vexation lord grey retired from a position which had long been wearisome to him lord melbourne took his place and the rest of the ministry continued unchanged the force with which ministers had met a reformed parliament was exhausted attempts to give effect to the rest of the measures which had been promised ended in failure neither the irish tithes 
nor the English poor rates could be placed on a satisfactory footing. The one success was the passing of the bill to amend the poor law. By this act, the law of settlement, by which paupers were removed to the parish of their birth, was abolished. Workhouses were erected throughout the country. Outdoor relief was greatly diminished, and the results were shown in a falling of rates, a rise of wages, and a rapid spread of happiness and contentment. The popularity of the ministry was gone, but its fall was sudden. The king, after a hasty declaration in favour of the Irish Church, intimated to his ministers that they should resign. Sir Robert Peel, who was in Rome, was sent for in haste. In the meantime, the Duke of Wellington held nearly all the offices of government in his own hands. A new ministry was formed, and Parliament was dissolved, to ascertain the feeling of the country in December 1834. End of Section 3